Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we continue our seven-part series entitled The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And this week's message, the fourth in this series, is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. And it's entitled The Power of Words. Well, it's great to be uh, with you today. Wasn't it fun having Chris here last weekend? For those of you who are here, just... uh he, he is a kick, isn't he? He, he is just, uh, I love it. It was fun uh, picking him up at the airport. He flew up in the, in, into the uh, Van Nuys airport. And so I picked him up there, spent the weekend together. And it was just great getting reconnected. I'm trying to get him back for the fall, so we'll see if he cooperates. But uh, anyway, uh, today we're continuing this series that uh, we've been in since last month, uh, The Power of Perspective, Life Lessons in the Book of Proverbs. And uh, today we come to a topic which I'm calling The Power of Words. One of the things that Solomon wants us to understand is if we want to be successful in life, if you want to build a healthy marriage, if you want to raise healthy kids, if you want to build a successful business over the long run, if you want to lead a, uh, or be a part of a successful ministry, it doesn't really matter that one of the most powerful lessons in life is we have to learn the power of words. That our words have the power, as he will put it, of life and death. That they can make us or they can break us. And so he wants to talk, and throughout the book, he talks over and over again about the power of words, and he even gives us some examples of that. And so today we're going to be talking about that, but I want to start off actually in the New Testament, in a passage in the book of James. So take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's kind of written in a similar style, short short uh, sayings, uh, great truth behind them. Um, And so we'll start in chapter 3 and and verse uh, 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Um, Can I hear an amen? (laughs) It's pretty much we can pray and go home now. We've had our word for the day. Um, We're all messed up. It's kind of what he's saying. And, you know, welcome to church. So, um, So we all stumble in many ways. But he says, if anyone's never at fault in what he says... He is a perfect man, and he's able to control, keep the whole body in check. In other words, this area of controlling our tongue, I mean, it's just a really hard area. He said, if you can control your tongue, you can control anything. You know, you've, you've got it pretty much wired. He says, uh, when we, uh, verse 3, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a, a ship, for an example. Uh, even though they're so large, they're driven by strong winds but they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Well, likewise, the tongue, it's just a small part of our body, but it makes great boats. In other words, it has great influence. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, we know all about that up here, don't we? (laughs) I remember last fall, you know, you look out my window, and how interesting, someone's having a campfire next to the 118. It's really very quaint. Um, 30,000 acres later, we knew it as a Topanga fire, you know. And so he says, you know, that's the way it is. Small spark, um, uh, big influence. And uh, he says in verse 6, the tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. Have you ever just said something that was like a spark that just started a fire? And you're just like, can I just get that thing back? You know, where's the fire extinguisher? Um, and he says, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, they're all being tamed. You can see them at like SeaWorld, things like that. And, you can have, and they've been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. And so James comes to us. He says, hey, brothers and sisters, in this whole thing, we're learning to follow Jesus together. He says, one of the areas where we really have to learn how to, to, to grow is we have to learn how to control our tongue because it can do amazing damage. And so the book of Proverbs comes with that same message. Solomon wants to understand that a key to our success in life in any area is our ability to control the tongue. And throughout the, this book, he just peppers these, uh, these proverbs throughout the book uh, of, of how to be successful. Now, what I'd like to do today is break down this message into two different sections. The first section there in your note sheet is called The Power of the Tongue, The Big Picture. And I want to start off by just standing back from the book of Proverbs and saying, okay, let's just boil it all down. Uh, uh, Solomon has all these things to say about the book of Proverbs, but if we could boil the whole thing down and sum it all up, like what's the message we need to take? You know, and so let's look at the big picture. And then so the second part of the message, I want to come back and look at some specific examples of specific types of speech that he says these are toxic, these are poisonous, these are kill you. You know, so we're going to go big picture and then specifics, okay? So let's jump in. Power of the tongue, the big picture. Two basic principles that jump out as you study the book of Proverbs. Here's number one. What we say really matters. He wants us to get this, that if you're going to be successful in life, what you say really matters. In fact, it can make us or it can break us. I don't know if you remember back when you were in school on the playground, but your playground was probably like my playground, that, that often there's this thing that was said, and you know, when, when kids would be in an argument or a fight or something, you'd say this, this little thing. It says, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but yeah, words or names can never hurt me. Now, of course, it's not true. We would always say this when we were about dying, right? It's like when the sword's going in and they're twisting, it's your last line of defense, you know, to try to get them off your back. Just, you know. And so that's what Solomon is saying is that it's, this is not true that, you know, sticks and stones break bones. Or that's not true. The truth of the matter is our words are incredibly powerful. We could probably all think of times in our life, you could probably look back in your life when words have built you up or torn you down. We could probably all think of times when we were beat up, we were discouraged, life was hard, we're not sure we're going to succeed, and someone came in with just the right word just the right point of vision, just the word of a healing or encouragement, and we just, man, we just, you feel the life come back inside of you. Or there's on the other side, we can probably all remember times in our life when we were right there, we thought we were going to succeed, and someone just laid us out. I mean, it was like a knife that went in. It might have been when you're four years old or 15 years old or 22 years old, and you still remember it to this day. You're still wounded by that. And so here's the way that, uh, that Solomon puts it it's on your note sheet, Proverbs 18:21. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, I want you to catch this. This is so important. What he wants us to catch, big picture, is that the tongue, what we say, your words, have the power of life and death. If you're married, your words have the power to give life to your spouse or to kill your spouse. If you have children, you have the power in your mouth to build them up or to tear them down. If you run a business, you have employees, you have a team, you have the ability to cause them to succeed or to cause them to fail simply by your words. Our words are incredibly powerful things. 
And he wants us to catch that, never to minimize the power of, of words. And sometimes we can do that. Oh, it's no big deal. I didn't mean it. Oh, I was just blowing off steam, you know, whatever. But it says, no, 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 no. And that's a lie. The truth is, words have the power of life and death. Number two, the second principle is, is that the secret of success, you know, we're kind of like, well, okay, so what, how do we succeed in this area? <laughs> he says, well, the secret of success is to keep your mouth shut. Now, this is really fascinating to me because as I was reviewing for this message, you know, I, I, I did kind of a speed read the book of Proverbs again and just to refresh, I'm like, well, what's there? And, you know, what you'd expect is that there would be kind of an even 50-50, that there would be like half the Proverbs that talk about the power of our mouth to build up people. And there'd be 50% that would be like, hey, you know, the power of words to tear down people. But, you know, it's not the truth. That what you find as you read it is there are some passages that talk about the power of our words to build up and bring healing and so on. But most of the passages are warnings of the power of our tongue to tear down. And the key word, in fact, you might want to write this on your note sheet, the key word is restraint. He says, if you want to be successful in this area of words, you're going to have to learn to restrain yourself, to hold your tongue, to guard your lips. He uses a lot of different metaphors. Now, I want you to see this for yourself. So let's do it. We're going to do a little Bible study here. Turn to the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs in the Old Testament. And I'm going to make this really easy on you. We're only going to be in Proverbs, okay? So I'll even tell you, turn left, turn right, follow the numbers. Proverbs 21. Start there. Now I just want to rifle through five Proverbs real quickly that underline this whole point that the secret of success is in restraint. 21-23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Okay? There's number one. You've got to guard yourself. Isn't that an interesting metaphor? Guarding your mouth. Can you get a picture of that? You set guards by your mouth. All right. Hey, don't you move. We got you covered. You know, you try that, you can't get away. Like, we're, we're guarding our mouth. Now, he uses the same one. Let's go to the next one in 13.3. Uh, so that'd be to the left. Like I say, it's fallen numbers. 13.3. Now, here he uses the same one again, same metaphor. He who guards his lips guards his life. Isn't that interesting? He says, you want to have a life? <laughs> you know, you go, well, I don't have a life. Well, here's how to get one. Guard your lips. He said, well, I got a life. Well, you want to keep your life? Guard your lips. And he says, he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. So the key emphasis on restraint. Look at the next one. Proverbs ten nineteen. Now here's an interesting one. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Now here's interesting. Yeah, in the Bible, there's certain little phrases that are used that have worked themselves into the English language. We don't even realize they came from the Bible. Like, for example, in Job, the book of Job, Job talks about the skin of his teeth. You know, and so now we have this expression, I've saved by the skin of my teeth. You ever thought of that? Like, skin your teeth doesn't have skin. You know. So, and they came from the Bible. Well, here's one. We talk all the time about holding our tongue. Hold your tongue, right? Well, it comes from the Bible, and, and here's what I want you to I want you to visualize this. We're so used to it, we don't think about it. But what he's saying is, hold your tongue. Have you tried this? And so the point is, is that he says, you know, when it comes to, to succeed, you know, hold your tongue. You know, guard the thing. You know, keep it in your mouth. <laughs> you know, don't let it get away. 
it can cause, so, so there's another one. Now there's, uh, next one, is uh, 1717. That doesn't sound right. How about 1727? Okay, a man of knowledge uses words with restraint. There's our word, restraint. And a man of understanding is even-tempered. We'll talk about anger later on, but a man of knowledge uses word with restraint. Let's look at one more. Proverbs 29.20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Okay? All right, so you get the message. So, so two big picture principles. One is that our words have the power of life and death. We need to understand that. If we want to be successful in life, we need to learn how to use them carefully. And it, but the, the big uh, tip here, the hot tip, is the, the message of restraint. You want to be successful? We're going to have to learn how to keep it shut at times. We're going to have to learn to hold back. Now, here's what I want to do. The next section is called toxic speech, a couple examples of words that wound. And when I say a couple examples, that gives me some latitude, right? I could do two, I could do three. And so your note sheet says two, there's really going to be three. So, um, so let me give you a heads up on how to do this. Notice under point number two, there's a lot of white space there. And so you're going to want to save some of that. If you turn the back page, you'll see that point number two goes on the back page. But if you just save like half of that white space under point number two, you'll be in good shape when I add a third point. All right. So a couple examples. Number one. The first example uh, that he wants to talk to us about, and, and by the way, there are many of these examples in Proverbs of toxic speech, kind of speech that poisons our lives. Uh, in fact, in your life group this week, you'll study several other kinds but we're just going to focus on two or three. So number one, uh, the first one I'm calling reckless criticism. Now, this takes into a lot of ground, but basically what, what Solomon wants us to understand is we have to be really careful with being negative in our life. Um, that, that when we're negative, when we're critical, that it, it can cause a lot of damage. I, and it, and there's, there's a really wide spectrum here. It could just be like general negativity, like, well, why do we always do this? Or, well, I never get what I want. Or, well, I can't believe I don't like that or this or that. It could just be kind of a, a general negativity. Like, you know, and and he's, that could be really damaging. Like maybe you work at a place like that. You know, or you have worked at a place like that. And if you've ever worked there, you know, it's like just everyone's just kind of a bad attitude. There's kind of negativity, a critical spirit going on. So it can be that end of the spectrum, or we can go all the way to the other where it gets really personal, where we start attacking people. You're an idiot. You're a fool. I can't believe, you know, that you do it. And it's just really personal. So this, this category takes in a lot of ground is what I'm saying, Okay. But he says we have to be really careful with this whole criticism thing because it can be incredibly harmful. Now, there is, of course, a criticism that's appropriate, right? I mean, we, we all need uh, critics in our life. In fact, we've talked in this series about that. We've said that one of the marks of a wise person is that they're open to criticism. They're open to feedback. They're open to critique. They're open to even rebuke or correction at times, right? And so there's an appropriate time for criticism. There's an appropriate time for disagreement. Not saying that, but, but this is a different kind. Reckless criticism is where we're really not looking out for the best interests of the person we're talking to. We're really, we're just, it's, it's sort of an attack, either low grade or high grade, but it's an attack in, in order to get our way. And Solomon says you've got to be really careful about this because it has a huge impact to demotivate people, a huge impact, uh, 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 potential for uh, really uh, destroying people. I, I came across a, a cartoon years ago, a Peanuts cartoon. 
It was uh, Linus and Lucy talking. And uh, of course, there's always great theology in this. And so, um, so Linus is saying to Lucy, so why is it you're always so quick to criticize me? And she says, you know, it's just a gift. Um, it's, I, I just have a knack. I just have a knack for recognizing other people's problems, you know. And he said, well, what about your own issues? And she said, oh, I've got a gift for overlooking those. And... Um, Isn't that the way it is? Can we all plead guilty on this? You know, it's like Jesus comes along and says, be really careful about taking this speck out of your neighbor's eye when you got a two-by-four in your own eye. It's just kind of, it's like human nature, right? It's human nature that we're quick to see what's wrong with others, you know, slow to see. And Proverbs is saying, he just wants to say, hey, be really slow on this. It can be dangerous. Um, Years ago, I was reading a story about uh, Andy Stanley. Andy is a, a, a famous pastor down in the south and uh, outside Atlanta. Uh, I started a church not too long ago, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's growing like 10,000 or something. And he, he's like really one of the most gifted uh, teachers, uh, leaders, spiritual leaders, uh, authors, great author uh, in our country today. And so, you know, great leader. But he tells a story about when he was in eighth grade. He was trying out for the basketball team at his school, about 100 guys going out for basketball. And so um, they'd been in camp, I think, for a couple weeks or so, this, you know, this uh, tryout camp. It was the last day, and they were doing scrim- a scrimmage, which is like a practice game. And so, uh, of course, at the end of the day, the coach was going to read out the names of the guys who made the team. If he doesn't read your name, you know, you're not on the team. And so, um, so Andy's out there. He's on the floor. It's in the heat of the battle. It's towards the end of the game. He's open in the corner. Guard shoots in the ball. He goes up for a jumper and misses everything. I mean, you know... Nothing at all. It doesn't hit the rim, doesn't hit the backboard, it doesn't hit the net. I mean, air ball, you know. And his coach, who he had huge respect for, was kind of a, a crusty old southern coach, you know, sort of guy. His coach, other side of the court, yells out in front of everyone, Stanley, you got no backbone. You know, game goes on. Andy obviously doesn't make the team. Sure, the coach went home, had dinner, probably never thought about it again. But this young kid that had this this potential for huge leadership, that that word went in like an arrow, like a poison arrow into his heart. And from that point on, he was convinced. He says, hey, the guy was my coach. He was the adult. He was the guy I looked up to. He had rendered his decision on my life. He said, from that point on, I was just convinced I could never compete successfully in organized athletics. So that was it for me. And he said, it wasn't until I was in his 20s that he realized what had happened and he began to reach back and pull out that poison dart and he was able to go on to his life. And here's this guy, amazing leader today, teaches leadership, and yet the power of words. Now, hey, maybe that's not your story. Maybe it was in eighth grade basketball. But it would be really interesting right now to have some open mic time, you know, kind of do the little Oprah thing right here, <laughs> you know, Dr. Phil, and, and just kind of walk around and say, what's your story? You know, and I bet some of you would have stories to tell, you know, four years old, you spilled the milk and your parents said, you're so stupid, you're such trouble, you're more trouble than you're ever worth, you're never going to amount to anything. That second grade teacher who put you in the slow class and said, I don't think you're ever going to be able to read. You just don't seem to get it. You know? That spouse that left you for a younger woman and he says to you on his way out, no one's ever going to want you again. You know? And we go through life and we carry these wounds and we have no idea the power of our words have. 
That's what Solomon wants us to understand. It's like, oh, be very careful. Oh, oh, be very careful. The words we say in our marriages, the words we say to our children, the words we say to our employees and our ministry teammates. It's the power of words. Years ago, I read a book by J. Oswald Sanders, sort of a classic. It's called Spiritual Leadership. And he, I put a quote there from that book. And he said, uh, there's nothing else. He's talking about leadership and the impact that criticism have on leaders, which is interesting because you think of all people, you think leaders would be sort of, you know, able to rise above criticism. They should have the confidence and blah, blah, blah. Look what he says. He says, there is nothing else that so kills the efficiency, the capability, and the initiative of a leader as destructive criticism. Its destructive effect cannot be underestimated. It tends to hamper and undercut the efficiency of a man's thinking process. It chips away at his self-respect. It undermines his confidence in his ability to cope with his responsibility. Hey, can I tell you something? It's not just leaders, is it? It's all of us. Yeah, it's all of us. It's our kids. It's our spouses. It's our friends. It's our church. It's our pastors. It's all of us, you see, the power of words. Look how Proverbs puts it. Solomon says, reckless words. Remember we call this one reckless criticism? That's where it comes from. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Hey, but the tongue of of the wise brings healing. See, our words have the power of life and death. Be very careful, you know, when it comes to criticism. Um, And instead, he says, be people who learn how to use your tongue to bring healing how to bring vision, to bring confidence. Next one, Proverbs eleven twelve: A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Now, why does it say he, he lacks judgment? Well, because really the person who derides his neighbor has no understanding of the impact it has. <laughs> My previous church um, it was so funny. We, you know, I had several teachers there. You know, Chris was one of them. Larry was one of them. Larry was one who taught the most. Very gifted teacher. One day he sent us around. A, you know, we call them worship response cards. We call them kit cards here. And he said, you know, this guy, this guy wins the, uh, the, the uh, encouragement award for the weekend. And here's Larry. Larry's a very gifted teacher. And, and the card went something like this. Dear Larry, that sermon seemed like a repeat of a previous sermon. Do you plan to bring in new material in the future to, so I can grow, or do you plan on continuing repeating old, old information? Oh, my gosh, you know? Hey, Larry, since around, you know, winner of the week, you know, for encouragement, you know? But I'll tell you, hey, you know, it's whether it's this church or other church, you'd be surprised sometimes, you know, what comes in the, the, those cards. And, and, and the point is, is we just have no, and what he's saying, the man who derides his neighbor um, lacks judgment. In other words, he has no idea of the impact. It's like taking a stone and throwing it in the water and the ripples go out. And you just have no idea of the ripples, you know? And so we'll minimize it, no big deal. And Proverbs says, yeah, it is a big deal. And so it's so important that we ask ourselves initially, hey, are we people that build up or are we people that tear down? Are we people that bring positive energy, positive uh, force, or are we, you know, by nature, more critical and need to grow in that area? Number two, a second type of uh, speech uh, that he's really concerned with, and remember, you're going to look at several more in your life group homework, but the second one we're going to look at is outbursts of anger. 
Now, this, of course, is one of the hardest times to control our tongue. We've talked about how hard it is. Remember, James said if a man can control his tongue, he's a perfect man. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, you've you got it, it wired. Um, and so one of the hardest times is when we're angry. Uh, and I'm sure we've all been there, right? It's just, it's a hard thing. He's if you can control that. And so one of the areas, uh, he says, you know, you just got to learn how to do this. You've got to control your mouth when you're angry. And it is a hard thing. I remember years ago, like five or six years ago, I was, uh, you know, down at Southern Church in San Diego area. And, um, and we, you know, this town, the church is Vista. And outside that town is a little town called Bonzel. It's sort of like a one-horse town. You know, it's, yeah, one, you know, one stoplight, an Arco station there, you blink and you'll miss it. And so I was coming back from Fallbrook where I got my hair cut and coming through and I needed a gas and so I, I pull in. And, and for those of you who don't know me real well, I'm, I'm kind of absent-minded lots of times. I just kind of admit this, it's time for confession. And, and, uh, and so you remember a couple months ago, Dave Cox was speaking. He talked about a time when all the pastors, we went out to, you know, to breakfast and, and we, I locked my car and we, we walk in and they all turned to me and said, are you going to turn it off or just leave it running? And uh, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And then I almost freaked out because I thought I'd lock my keys in it, but I didn't. So that was good. But those things just happen to me. I don't know why. They just do. And uh, so anyway, I, I pull in this gas station and uh, just didn't do a real good parking job. I don't know if you've ever done this. You just pull in, you get out and like, you know, it's like, where's the tank? You know, it's long. It's like, oh, there it is, you know. And uh, you take a long ways from the pump. And so, of course, the wise thing to do at this point would be to, you know, get in the car, put it in reverse and go back and get closer to the pump. But that would be admitting defeat. That would be admitting... That would be admitting that you really didn't know what you were doing. You weren't paying attention. And so, so my strategy was to just pull the heck out of this, you know, this gas line. And you know how different gas, gasoline stations have different lengths of, of, of line. You understand this? Right? Like Costco is great. You can go three times around your vehicle with the line from Costco. They want to make sure that you don't leave without getting your gas. And so I love Costco. You don't need, you just get in the general area and it'll reach. It's like, you know, like a, it's like an aircraft carrier. You just fill in the big tube, you know, and you find your thing. Park on the opposite side doesn't make any difference. There's still plenty of space. And there's other places, you know, it's like, you got to do it right. You got to be right there, you know. It's, so anyway, well, Arco's usually pretty good. They got the longer hoses. And so, so I'm thinking, I think they can make this work. I'm a long ways from the pump, but I can still do this thing. So I'm pulling it. You know, I have the wires on top the wires going down to the line and so so I'm just pulling that thing for all it's worth you know it's like like an Iron Man strong man pull and I'm just I've got this thing way down here you know to the deal and it's just pulled as long I think I've got it I think I've got it got the lid up you get it in and boom yep I'm good I'm good and so then I turn the gas and I walk away start going around the car well right as I walk away the thing cuts loose you know and it's like a wounded python I mean it's just like woo you know up in the air and gas is going everywhere and and it scares me to death, you know, because I just left it, kaboom, and, it, and I'm thinking the place is going to explode or something, and, well, you think I had it bad. The older lady on the other side of the pump, she was freaking out. I mean, she was just, she saw this python spewing gas coming at her, and she was just mad, you know, and so she just let me have it. And, and she started yelling at me in this little old lady voice, just started yelling at me, and, your gas line's coming out! And I'm like, duh, you know? It's like, you know, hey, Khrushchev's not in power anymore, you know? It's, I'm, like, I'm just thinking, you know, master of the obvious, but being the great pastor and knowing that someday I would preach on this topic, I just held my tongue, you know, and turned the other cheek and just, you know, take it. And it's like, totally fine. And, okay, you know, but she just wouldn't, she wouldn't let up. You know, she was, just, she was going for the juggler. You know, she's just coming at me. And so she yells at me, and the gasoline is coming out. 
Well, that just did it. You know, it's over the line. You know, forget the pastor card, you know. <laughs> I just look at her and I glare and I said, that's why they call it a gasoline station. <laughs> and she's just leveled. I mean, I, I totally won the day. You know, she's like, okay, you win, you win, you're better, you're wittier, you're quicker, you know. It's, and, and I just felt so good, I felt so restored that, of course, uh, uh, then, you know, the moment after, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I just say, what did I just do? Oh, she probably goes to North Coast. Yeah, that's my next, my next thought. And, and it's like moments of that, God, why did you make me a pastor? Why can't I just do work construction, do in a bank or something like that? It's 24-7, you're on the clock, you never get away from this thing, you know? And, uh, and you know, it's funny, I mean, as far as I know, there was no long-term damage from this outburst. Uh, the lady still might be afraid of, of gas pumps. I don't, I don't know, but you know, approach them cautiously. You know, look for guys with beards or whatever. But uh, where is that guy? But you know, as far as I know, no long-term damage uh, to her. She's probably had a funny story about the idiot at the gas station, the python or whatever. But you know, there's so many times in our life it doesn't have that ending. That outbursts of anger... Proverbs wants us to understand, Solomon wants us to understand that these can be devastating and that they can wound us for life. They can wound people around us uh, for life. You know, there was a time, and uh, I think we're, we're kind of getting past it, but there was a time in the last 20, 30 years where uh, kind of in pop psychology, there was sort of this emphasis that, hey, if you're anger, and if you're angry, just let it rip. It's really, it's not healthy to keep anger in. You just need to let it out. You know, you're mad at your, your wife, just let her have it. And if she's mad back, let him have it. And it's very cathartic and it's cleansing. And hey, we're all like tea kettles and we're building up steam. And if you don't let it out, you're going to explode. And, and this kind of teaching was out there. And Proverbs says exactly the opposite. And I want you to see there, Proverbs 29.11, I love this verse. It says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. Now, I want you to catch that. Who gives full, full vent to his anger? A fool. Let me ask it again. I just want to drive this point home. Who gives full vent to his anger? A fool. I want you to sink in. When we give full vent to our anger and let it rip, he says, okay, you've just self-identified. All right? That moment in time, you are a fool. Why? Because we have no comprehension of the damage it's going to do. A wise man keeps himself under control. Look at the next one, Proverbs 16, 32. Better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes a city. And from the next one, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, also written by Solomon, by the way, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Okay? And so, um, so what really happens when we give full vent to our anger? What really happens? And there in your note sheet, three things. I just want to underline real quick. Number one, the first thing that happens when we give full vent to our anger is that it, it increases it. There's kind of the popular teaching that used to be around, and, and, and really even pop psychology is moving away from this. But um, there used to be this idea that, well, it would decrease your anger. Let it out, get it over, you'll be done with it. But uh, that's really wrong. In fact, uh, better research in recent years has just demonstrated that. I've mentioned before the book by Daniel Goleman, Emotional Intelligence. He, he quotes a, a researcher from a, a Western, Case, uh, Case Western uh, Reserve University named Diane Tice. Listen to what she says. Tice found that ventilating anger is one of the worst ways to cool down. 
Outbursts of, of rage, typically they pump up the emotional brain's arousal, leaving people feeling more angry, not less. Tice found that when people told of times that they had taken out their rage on the person who provoked it, the net effect was to prolong the mood rather than end it. Far more effective was when people first cooled down and then in a more constructive or an assertive manner confronted the person to settle their dispute. There in your note sheet, another a landmark book by Dr. Carol Tavris, who did uh, some original research, just a ton of it, on anger. She wrote a book called uh, Anger, The Misunderstood Emotion. Look at the first part of what she says. Most of the time, we can conclude that expressing anger makes people angrier. It solidifies an angry attitude. It establishes a hostile habit. So the first thing that happens is it increases it. You don't, it doesn't cool you down. You get angrier. Number two, it doesn't work. You see, when we get angry with someone and we're letting it rip, what we're really trying to do is affect their choices, affect their behavior. We're saying, we don't like the way you're going. We want you to go a different way. But the point is, is that when we give full vent to our anger, it does not achieve that goal. I mean, stop and think of your own life. When someone rips into you, is your first response to say, oh, thank you so much. That's very helpful. I never really saw it that way. Now that you put it that way, I get it. Thank you. I'm I'm a better person now. No, our natural response is to do exactly what I did in the gas station. It's like, let's admit it. I was an idiot. I had this thing too long, shouldn't have done that, but you know, and so a natural response, a better response would have said, you're right, I'm really sorry for scaring you to death, I hope you know you, you don't die right now, and, and you know, and just kind of, you know, and if you do, I'm a pastor, I'll do your funeral for free, you know, it's like, that would have been a better response, but no, 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 what's my response is, is like, of course, it's a gas station, why, because that's what happens when, when some, when we get attacked, our natural human response is to attack back, and so look what problem. Proverbs says, uh, there at 15.1, he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. He says, a better way about this is when someone's, when when you're angry, he says, get away and come back with a gentle answer and it will turn away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It doesn't solve it, it it makes it worse. Proverbs 25.15, the next one, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. And number three, the third thing that our anger does when we give it full vent is it leaves scars. Now this is so important. I want to hone in here just for a second. But if you have an anger problem, and I know like in a congregation like this, I mean, this is some of us, let's just admit it. You know, we got an anger issue that's a part of our regular lives and there's a lot of anger in your family or your, your jobs or whatever. Okay, here's what I found among Christians that often if we have an anger problem, we're quick to justify it. We're quick to minimize it, and we're quick to excuse it. And so here's how that looks. Um, It it can look like things like this. Um, Hey, it was no big deal. I was just letting off a little steam. Why are you making such a big deal about this? It's over. Okay? So we minimize it. Uh, Here, we, we excuse it. Hey, it's just the way I am. It's the way I was raised. It's the way my family was. Your family's different. My family does it this way. We have duels with guns. It's just the way we are, you know. Mm. You'll get used to it after a few years. My first wife did. Um, um, Oh, here's one. Um, 
well, if you weren't the way you were, I wouldn't be responding the way I am. Right? It's like, if you weren't so irritating, I wouldn't be so irritated. It's really your fault. Right? So there we go. So we just put the blame on the other person. Here's one, the nationality one. Hey, well, I'm Italian. You know, it's just, you know, I'm Latino. We're hot-blooded. You know, we're, uh, you know, I'm Irish. That's just the way. You know, and so you kind of fill in the blank. You know, what, you know, choose your nationality, like yours, and then fill in the blank, you know. And so, but look what Proverbs says. That's not really true. It's like we can excuse this all we want, but the reality is, is that reckless words pierce like a sword. That's the reality. And long after we're, hey, we're over it, the person's there with thermonuclear, you know, fallout and trying to deal with it. Look what James says. James 1.19, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because man's anger, it doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. Okay, so second area, he says, oh, be really careful of this full vent of your anger thing. We've got to deal with our anger, but we can't deal with it and just letting loose. Okay, number three. <laughs> the third, now this is the one you're going to have to write in, so go back a page. Fortunately, all left room there because I warned you. See, originally I had three points. And then, you know, about Tuesday or Wednesday, I cut it out because I wanted to be on time. But then I thought, hey, wait, it's the last service. What's the deal? Um, number three. Um, okay. So number three is dead-end arguments. Dead-end arguments. Now you say, well, what's like a dead-end argument? What do you mean? Well, have you ever had those arguments in your life that always ends in a dead-end it's like, it's the same argument, you just have it over and over, and you always end up in the same cul-de-sac. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, it's like, it's the financial argument, you know? You know, you don't make enough, or you spend too much. And it's like, you know where it's going to end up. It's going to end up angry, it's going to escalate. It's going to be, he's going to say this, she's going to say that, he's going to say this, she's going to say that, the anger is going to escalate, it's going to be a point of explosion, it's going to end in a dead end. It's not going to solve anything, and next week or next year or three months from now, you're going to have the same argument it's again. It can be in a marriage, it can be in a business, it can be with our kids. This is great. If you've got teenagers, you're probably an expert in this. You know, it's, it's this like, okay, same argument, same deal. It's like, you know, why can't I stay out later? You know, why can't I have uh, earrings, your son? Why can't I have earrings? Um, uh, why, you know, why can't I? Everyone's else out till two in the morning. Well, everyone else is going to that party. Well, they can see those movies or whatever. And so we just kind of have the same repeat argument over and over again. And here's what Proverbs is saying. You've got to be really careful of these things because what happens over time is you never solve the issue. They're a dead end. You don't, it doesn't solve the issue. I mean, how many times have you had that argument, right? So it doesn't solve the issue, but in the meantime, it hurts and harms the relationship. And over time, it just, it, these things build up and they can kill a relationship. You see? So we've got to come at it a different way. Uh, and so here's a, a kind of a basic rule, I, and I think of Proverbs. In fact, this would come up on the screen. But when a discussion starts producing more heat than light, get out. Once a discussion, you're in a discussion with someone, your kid, your spouse, you know, employee, you're sharing Jesus with someone, doesn't matter. You're in a discussion with someone and it starts producing more heat, more anger than light, you know, insight. You need to get out. You need to get out of that relation, get out of that conversation. And the reason is, is because when anger enters into a debate, 
Like when you're having, you know, it's, it's appropriate to have discussions and disagreements. But when you start to feel the heat rising, what tends to happen is we get entrenched in our positions. Very seldom, when the anger is entering into an argument, does the other person say, oh, that's a great last point you made. That's helpful. It, it doesn't happen that way. And so when the anger begins to grow in the thing, you, you just need to kind of like say, you know, we need to take a time out from this thing. Let's come back and address it later, but we need to take a time and kind of cool down, get some perspective on this, because when the heat rises, the light diminishes. Say. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. Let's look at that one. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. There's a movie. It's called Force 10 from Navarone. <laughs> Some of you guys know that. All you guys. It's like this is one of those movies on TV like periodically. In fact, I didn't even know the name of the movie. I just have been telling the story. And everyone comes up afterwards, tells me the name of the movie. And so, so, so here's the plot. You know, it's a war, one of those World War II movies. And uh, the Allied forces, small group of guys, 10 guys, they're supposed to go in behind enemy lines and they're to blow up this, this huge dam. And this, this dam, it's like, a, like picture the Hoover Dam. It's like this cement, huge, massive dam. Behind it, all these metric tons of water, I mean, huge amounts of water. And down below is this bridge that the Nazis are using for their, you know, for their war efforts. And they need to blow up, they need to get rid of that bridge, but they can't blow it up directly so they're going to blow up the uh the dam and release all this pent-up water that's going to go down and take out the bridge that's the whole deal and the whole movie is leading up to this point it's all about their struggles and their trials and their hardships and their their fighting within themselves and all everything's leading up to this point of blowing up the dam and you got to picture it huge okay you got hoover dam in your mind it's a huge deal and so this point in the movie comes and they take the explosives, just a few guys, and they go into the heart of the dam, you know, inside the concrete wall. And they go and they find the places and the, and the, and the trestles and so on and they place the explosives there and they come out and they're all ready. The whole movie's been waiting for this point and boom, you know, they, they, they uh, push a detonator and you hear this huge explosion and nothing happens. Hey, like two hours, you know? And nothing happens. But there's this one guy on the team that's like cool, calm, collected. He says, just wait. And sure enough, in that huge dam, there's just all of a sudden this little crack appears. A little crack, just a small crack. Nothing to write home about. But all that pressure of those thousands and thousands of tons of water against that little crack. And suddenly that little crack begins to widen and it begins to spread. And all of a sudden, there's a chink in the concrete. A little stream of water comes out. Another little stream of water. Another one. Another. And all of a sudden, in one big collapse, the whole dam collapses. And this huge flow of water comes rushing in a torrent down and takes out the bridge. And they've accomplished their mission. Now I want you to look at this verse. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. You see, we're talking to our teenager. We're talking to our spouse. It's getting mad. You're getting madder. You can feel the anger coming up. You've been here before. You know this is going. It's so hard to say, you know, let's time out right now. Let's time out. Let's get away. Let's think. Let's cool down. We'll come back to it. It's so hard to do it because everything in you is, it's to the death right now. It's you or me. One of us is going down, right? 
It's everything within us. And he says, oh, be careful. He says, you know what? You see that little crack right there in the dam of your marriage? See that crack in the dam of your relationship with your son or daughter? See that, that crack in the dam with your, your team or your, 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 your uh, team of people at the office? He says, see that little crack right there? He says, if you keep moving this direction, that, that's a breach. We call that a breach. <laughs> and that breach is going to cut loose. And there's going to be havoc. It's going, to take, it's going to take you out, you see? And says, oh, be careful. Let's look at one more. Chapter 20 and verse uh, 3. It's to a man's honor to avoid strife. But every what? Fool. Every fool is quick to quarrel, you see? Have you ever met anyone? Maybe you've said this yourself, but I, I've met some people who are just very proud. Of, you know, well, I'm, I'm not like the devil's advocate. I'll say that. You know, it's like, whatever the issue is, you know, you're, you're for, uh, you know, Republicans, they're going to be Democratic. You're, you're for this, they're going to be for that. It doesn't really matter what the issue is. Hey, I just like to give the other point of view. I'm the devil's advocate, you know, and it's kind of like a quarrel. Or you stop and think about it. Like, why would you really want to be the devil's advocate, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, he's, that's on the wrong team, you know? And that's what Proverbs is saying here. It's don't be on the wrong team. He says, don't be quick to quarrel. Don't be one of these people that, oh, it's just, you know, I just like a fight. He says, no, no, no. That's what a fool does. He says, no, no, no. You don't understand the power of words. You don't understand the impact on your relationship. And you know what? Let me just talk. We've talked a lot about family and so on. But let me talk just about one other application of this. Is when we're sharing Christ with people. We're sharing Christ or we're talking about a political issue or a social issue, a moral issue in our culture we feel strongly about. You know, even if we're on the right side, that it's amazing sometimes to me how as Christians will enter into these debates that turn into quarrels with the opposite side. And we will become so ugly and so angry and and we will convince ourselves that we are fighting for the right. So we're fighting to death. And Proverbs says, you're being a fool. Because when that anger enters into that discussion, you lose all right to influence. The whole point of having this discussion is to influence these people. And if, our, if we have the wrong attitude and the wrong approach and we enter in as a quarrel, guess what? We lose all influence in their life. And the two sides polarize and we lose all ability to influence our culture. So do we take a stand? Absolutely we take a stand. But as, uh, as Peter says, but do it with gentleness and respect. Remember 1 Peter chapter 3? Be always ready to share a reason for the hope that's within you, but do it with gentleness and respect. That's what he's saying here, the power of words. So let's wrap this thing up. Here's what I want you to take with you today as we leave. First of all, I just want you to catch, if you've never really thought about it before, or never really maybe has thought about it deeply before, that our words have the power of life and death. Your words do, my words. And so we need to be very careful how we speak. And that the key to our success is often going to be restraint. We looked at three specific examples of toxic speech. We looked at criticism. We looked at anger. We looked at dead-end arguments, quarrels. And this week, then, in your life group, you're going to have a chance to look at some more and talk about that together 
and just process what, what are the biggest challenges in your life? Hey, we're all in this thing together. Remember we started off, if, if, you know, it's like we all stumble in many ways, right? We're all in this thing together. So as we get together in our life groups this week, or you're processing with friends, you know, let's just share together. Where's the battle for us? Where's the lesson for us? How do we get better at this? How do we become a church of life-giving words? You see, that's what, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, this book. Uh, I just love this book. Uh, it's so practical. It's so helpful. Or you can tell us in your word where to love you and love others. And yet, sometimes it's like, well, what does that look like to love others? And here you just spell it out. Well, when it comes to your speech, this is what it looks like. And so we're thankful for that, God. And we're thankful for your spirit. And we're thankful for your word. And we're thankful for the teaching that you're providing in our lives week by week. And Lord, we just give you our alone lives, we give you our church, and we pray that you'd teach us how to walk with you and to be life givers when it comes to our word. We pray this in your name, amen. Many times the first step we need to learn is just a a few simple words that bring life, and here they are. Uh, I'm sorry, Uh, I was wrong, Uh, forgive me, Uh, could you help me change, you know? And so if you're, you know, you, you came to church today and you're fighting with each other on the way here or yelling at your kids or whatever the things that happen in our life, hey, it's like, that's not the end of the game. You know, we're all learning to follow Jesus, you know. We're learning this thing. And one of the first steps is to learn to say we're sorry at times and just to go back and say, you know, I wish I could go back to that lady at the gas pump <laughs> who's probably now with the Lord <laughs> and say, Say, I'm sorry, you know, but at least I can tell my lame story, you know, and we can all learn from it, right? And so part of that first step is just, is just learning in our lives that when we do blow it, to go back, and we can't, always, uh, we can't always take out all the scars, we can't always make up for everything, but it's amazing how much healing can just be in those words saying, you know what, I lost my temper, I was out of line, you know I've excused it in the past, I'm, I'm just wrong, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to do better, you see. May we be a place where, where that kind of authenticity is, is, is who defines us, you know, that we're in this thing together. We're real people. We're growing. We're going to figure this thing out. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to get a little better. We're going to help each other get better. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.